Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. If 2016 taught us anything, it's that plenty of voters are tired of sending the usual governors, senators, and high-ranking government officials to occupy the White House. When the mayor of a mid-sized American city formed an exploratory committee to run for president last year, the reaction from a lot of insiders here was, oh, that's nice. But now, Pete Buttigieg is in position not just to compete, but possibly win the New Hampshire primary. And former mayor Pete Buttigieg is our guest on Close Up this morning. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. So you have far exceeded expectations to this point, but now the bar's kind of been raised, hasn't it? So what do you say to those voters who are looking now at a Joe Biden, an Amy Klobuchar, a Michael Bennett, because they feel that you will need too much on-the-job training to be president? Well, there's no job quite like the presidency, and I get that. Uh, Then again, even though we're more used to seeing senators, you could be a very senior senator in our country and have never in your life managed more than 100 people. When you are the mayor of a city of any size, especially in the strong mayor system we have back home, you understand that your job is not just finding good policies, but building a government and running an administration. And not just that, but leading a population and calling it to its highest values. I actually think that's the part of the job that we are most missing in Donald Trump's Oval Office, and it's part of the job that I seek to recreate and restore. Now, I think it's also the case that we should think about winning. And every single time my party has won the White House in the last 50 years, certain things have been true about the nominee. It's been a nominee who was new on the national scene, hadn't run for president before, somebody who had that values-based message, and somebody who was either new to Washington or didn't work there at all, as well as somebody ushering in a new generation of leadership. So whether you're thinking about it just from the perspective of how do we make sure we win, or thinking about what kind of background is right for the White House. Look, the reality is, again, there's no job quite like the White House, but among jobs you can have today in American government, I'd also say there's no job quite like being mayor. Uh, You've been willing to draw some contrasts lately with Vice President Biden, particularly on the Iraq war, but also on the Ukraine issue uh, when you said that essentially if you had a hypothetical son of adult age, you wouldn't want that person to be serving on the board of a foreign company that is entangled uh, with a foreign policy issue such as the issue was in Ukraine. I've heard some some local Democrats who are saying, I I can't believe he's really going there, uh, giving credence to this. Uh, Do you regret that at all? Or why are you going there with Joe Biden on this issue when you said previously that it wasn't? I never raise that issue. But when I am asked about it, I'm going to respond. Yes, it would be a good idea to separate those things out. And by the way, I think uh, uh, the Bidens have said that themselves. Uh, What's also important is that we not allow the Trump administration or the Republican Party to change the subject. Nobody has made any credible allegation of wrongdoing or brought any evidence of wrongdoing against any of the Biden family. Uh, We're talking about a a family that is uh, very well respected. And meanwhile, uh, looking at what this president has done in broad daylight that is impeachable conduct. So, uh, of course, I would hold my administration to the highest standard in terms of avoiding uh, any conflicts or the appearance of any conflicts. But that's a question uh, for the future about how my administration would work. Let's never allow the Republican Party to change the subject from Donald Trump's abuse of power and misconduct when it comes to this impeachment process. There is a foreign policy moment underway right now in terms 
terms of what's going on or has gone on with the embassy in Baghdad. Do you believe President Trump has acted appropriately thus far in response? Well, really, I believe that we are seeing the escalation of proxy conflicts in an environment that's being made worse by President Trump's indecision, his inability to establish a stable Middle East policy, the fact that we have policy taking place by tweet or that he seems uh, easy enough to manipulate, that he'll even change what he believes on something as important, sensitive, complicated, and dangerous as the Middle East is just one more reason why we need a more stable, more responsible president as soon as possible. Would you hesitate at all to send troops back to Iraq? Of course. I mean, you, uh, the president should always think twice about the commitment of U.S. troops. And having myself been sent into war by the decision of a president, uh, I will never allow American troops to be sent into harm's way when there's an alternative. We need to set uh, a much clearer bar and standard for the use of force. And we need to make sure that uh, we're not being dragged into endless conflict. If there is no alternative, if it is necessary to protect American lives, then that's what our military is for. But uh, we also cannot allow these situations to arise that lead to entanglements that are so hard to get out of. Uh, I thought I was one of the last troops leaving Afghanistan when I uh, was turning out the lights years ago. We're still there. We're still arguing about how to get out. And that is a strong warning uh, about what to do when other uh, potential conflicts arise. Back to the 2020 race here. Elizabeth Warren likes to poke fun at the fact that you had a fundraiser in a wine cave. Is she being disingenuous on that front when it comes to these high dollar fundraisers? Well, we're talking about somebody who has also had fundraisers at wineries. Look, the, these process questions, I think, are maybe they're good for scoring points uh, on, in a debate, but this is a conversation about the future of the republic. And it's also a conversation about how to make sure we beat Donald Trump. Now, President Trump and his allies, they are going to pull out all of the stops in order to win. They've already raised over $300 million. I am not a fan of the current campaign finance system in America. That's one of the reasons why I've gone so far as to propose a, a constitutional amendment to deal with Citizens United. But right now, in 2020, we need to make sure that we go into that struggle with Donald Trump, the political fight of our lives, and not do it with one hand tied behind our back. And so anybody who wants to help make that happen, I want to make sure they feel welcome in this campaign, in this coalition, in this movement that we're building. Why should a voter trust you, though, on this issue when now Senator Warren is taking such an absolutist position? If you really want to get money out of politics, why not do it like she's doing it? Well, step one is to make sure that we're in a position to bring about these reforms. And I have led the field in some of my proposals to make sure that we create a democracy that's actually more democratic and worthy of the name. Right now, we've got to make sure that we are prepared. We've got to make sure that we have the resources. And we've got to make sure we have invited everyone who wants to defeat this president into this coalition. I'm not interested in a politics that is defined based on who we reject. I'm building a politics of inclusion and belonging that calls as many people as we can. Because I'll tell you, you know, when we're out on the stump, of course, I'm seeing a lot of Democrats coming to see me speak. I'm meeting a lot of independents, especially here in New Hampshire, and an awful lot of what I think of as future former Republicans, uh, people who will potentially become part of this effort if we make sure we send the signal that we want all hands on deck to replace this president and to launch the era that's got to come next. You are highlighting environmental policy on this trip, in particular drinking water and water quality as it relates to perfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, PFAS, however you want to say mm -hmm. it. The name's changed a bunch. In parts per trillion, though, this is a patchwork map we're seeing around the country. What would be the standard that would be acceptable for you, PPT, for uh, PFAS? In so the water? number of parts per trillion should be set by science, not by any policy 
politician. Uh, what I will do as a policymaker is see to it that we have a science-based standard and that in addition to standards, we have adequate enforcement. We don't have uh, a leader, I think, in the Environmental Protection Agency today who really believes in environmental protection. We're talking about a former coal company lobbyist in there. Now, as a mayor, one of my most important responsibilities has been to deliver clean, safe drinking water. And, you know, the truth is you're, you're less free to live uh, a good life if you can't rely on the simple fact that water coming out of your faucet is safe and uh, and is going to be safe for your family. I think there's a lot of folks, not just in New Hampshire, but, but certainly here, who have those concerns. And it's one of the reasons why we need to make sure there are strong science-based standards, that there's good enforcement, and that we're investing in research for the road ahead, as well as cleanup. Look, we've already got a lot of contamination out there. And uh, even as these science-based standards come into effect, as they should swiftly. We also got to figure out what to do with what's out there. That's why I would move PFAS contamination into the category of things that need to be addressed in Superfund sites and increase the resources going into Superfund to make sure that we're able to get that cleanup done. Could be a monumental amount of money, though, so who pays? Because you're talking about drops in an Olympic-sized swimming pool of contamination when it's 12 or 15 parts per trillion. Is this all the federal government's going to foot the bill? Well, the fundamental principle for Superfund has been that the polluter pays, but we need to make sure that we're ready with federal funding to accept those kinds of cleanups and to make sure that we're doing the kinds of standards, testing, and enforcement to prevent further contamination for the future. So you have faced some really wild headlines uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, there's the Pete Buttigieg is a lying bleep, we can't even say it on TV. Uh, quote, why Pete Buttigieg enrages the young left. Um, you say you can unify the country, but how do you make that argument when there's the Democratic Party, there's a lot of skepticism that you can connect with key constituencies such as African Americans? Well, the nature of the Democratic primary is it draws out differences, and it draws out all the ways in which you can criticize somebody. But at the end of the day, uh, this is about making sure that we have a message that everyone sees themselves as part of. Uh, I have experience in building these kinds of coalitions, both as Democrats and beyond my own party, and that's what it's going to take, not only in order to win the presidency, but in order to govern. This isn't just about bringing an end to the Trump administration, although that is imperative. It's also about thinking about what's next. It's why I always ask voters to picture that first day when the sun comes up and Donald Trump's not in the White House. Think about how divided we're going to be. Think about how much work will be on the president's desk from dealing with climate change to repairing our democracy to facing the racial and economic inequality we have as a country. That's going to require a different kind of leadership, and I'm going to spend every day uh, until the bell rings communicating my vision for where our country needs to go and for what the presidency is for. What specifically, though, are you going to do to get votes out of the Senate Republicans? Because it seems like that's as deadlocked of a stalemate uh, of a cliche that I can come up with there. It's bad. Well, first of all, as a candidate from the middle of the country who is drawing a lot of different kinds of people into the campaign, I'm not giving up on the idea of a Republican minority in the U.S. Senate. But regardless of whether Mitch McConnell is running the Senate or not, we have this going for us. On issue after issue after issue, even compared to what President Obama had to work with 10 years ago, there is a strong American majority supporting us. From areas where Democrats have always been trusted, like uh, making sure that workers are protected, elevating the minimum wage, 
wage and delivering health care to areas where my party used to be on the back foot. I'm thinking about things like immigration, uh, common sense gun laws and, and gun safety policy. There's a powerful American majority to do these things that supports these ideas, even in more conservative states. And so part of what I'll be doing is taking that, uh, uh, that big blue and white airplane that comes with the Oval Office and flying it directly into the hometowns of these uh, senators and members of Congress who are standing in the way of things that even their own constituents believe must be done. Sometimes if you can't work on a politician, you have to work around them a little bit and speak to the people that they're ultimately accountable to. All right, Mayor Buttigieg, thanks for joining us on Close Up. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR, but it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just two taps brings you back in the know. It's a good problem to have. On his most recent trip to New Hampshire, Andrew Yang drew overflow crowds, and he's going to need bigger venues in the month ahead as the upstart entrepreneur tries to shock the world even more than he already has. Mr. Yang is our guest this morning. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Adam. Yeah. So the DNC has said it's not going to do any more or add additional polls or do anything else that would perhaps expand uh, the polling range a little bit that might get you on the debate stage. Is that a big deal for you? Because you made it this far without necessarily relying too much on that debate stage. Well, I think the people here in New Hampshire need to have their voice heard. And if you look at it, there has not been a qualifying poll run here in the state for a month and a half. We know a lot can change in a month and a half. And so to me, the message to the DNC should be, this is a democracy and we need to hear what the people think. Hmm. You're not big on drawing contrasts that are super sharp with your opponents, but uh, the other day, Joe Biden said that we can teach coal miners to code. And you came out and said, that's not necessarily what we need to be doing. Why shouldn't we be teaching coal miners to code? There's so many reasons that that's, to me, very unproductive. Um, by the numbers, 8% of Americans are in STEM fields. And saying to the other 92%, hey, you need to be like these 8%, just won't work. The other thing is maybe a lot of Americans have no interest in coding. And going around saying you should learn how to code uh, is unproductive at best and misleading at worst. So what we have to do is actually have the jobs of the future be organized around what we want to do, what our communities need and value, as opposed to some narrow idea of what the market values. We have to disentangle economic value and human value and say we have intrinsic value as Americans. This whole idea of kind of like job retraining can work if we just really put our shoulder into it. This is kind of what you've been talking about all along, that that's an outdated way of looking at the economy and trying to do things through the government. But doesn't that also say, though, that Joe Biden's too old to be president? <laughs> I, I mean, I'd agree with the first half of that statement. The, the reality is job retraining programs have not worked by the numbers. I'm a numbers guy. The success rates have been very low, 0 to 15%. And the people here in New Hampshire saw that unfold when the manufacturing plants closed in the northern part of the state in years past, where many of those workers did not get retrained. Instead, they ended up leaving the field, leaving the workforce in many cases. 
and many of those towns have never recovered. Uh, you're not an easy candidate to categorize a at all, and that's part of your allure, And but it's going to be hard for you to get those people who come on board now and they're looking for somebody, gosh, I really like Andrew Yang. What do you say to those people though who say that? I like this guy, but I'm not looking for a big change that might come with something like a universal basic income. Well, what I would say to them is we need to solve the real problems that got Donald Trump elected, the reality on the ground that we're seeing record high levels of stress, student loan debt, financial insecurity, even drug overdoses and suicides. That these are the real problems that got Donald Trump elected, and they're only going to get worse as 30% of our stores and malls close because Amazon is soaking up $20 billion in business and paying zero in taxes. I am the man to solve the problems on the ground and give us all a new way forward in the 21st century. Is there anybody who won't get universal basic income? Well, it's universal, but it's opt-in. So you would have to say, hey, I have no interest in getting $1,000 a month. And I'm sure there'll be some American somewhere who uh, decides that $1,000 a month would be unhelpful. But I mean, in terms of, there are some people who would obviously, what about someone who would obviously use it to the wrong ends? If I'm, for instance, a twice convicted drug runner or gun runner or something like that, and there are these red flags, maybe it's not the best idea to give me $1,000 a month? If you're presently incarcerated, then you do not get the freedom dividend because we're putting that money towards your incarceration. But if you've paid your debt to society and you're coming out of jail, then you do get the Freedom Dividend, which will help you reintegrate into the workforce and society and will give you a reason to stay out of jail. Speaking of money, uh, fundraising isn't everything in politics, but it is something. And you've been able to put together a couple of, uh, a good quarter and a good last week or so here. What are you going to do with this money that you've raised uh, recently? Is this going to be plowed into going big in Iowa and New Hampshire? Are you going to try and build out? Oh, you know what we're going to do. We're going to spend it right here in New Hampshire, Adam. It's time for Andrew Yang on the airwaves. Watch <laughs> out. You turn on the TV. Yeah, we're going to spend it in Iowa and New Hampshire to make our case to the American people because you know I'm still new to many Americans. People are still getting to know me, so we're going to hopefully make that easier. You've come a long way on the impeachment process with President Donald Trump. Before, you were kind of like, this is just a distraction. We don't need to be paying attention to all this stuff, maybe even a waste of time. Uh, then you said, now with the Ukraine situation, this is something that meets that. But with how this has gone, and it turned in a partisan way um, uh, in the House there, and now we don't know if Nancy Pelosi is going to hand it over or when, are the Democrats kind of shooting themselves in the foot here? I think the job of the Democrats has to be to present a new positive vision that Americans will get excited about. And when we're talking about Donald Trump, we are losing, even in the context of impeachment. The fact is not a single Republican has crossed party lines, and so this seems like a ball game where we know what the score is going to be. That's not a great use of Democrats' energies. We need to be focused on a new positive vision for the country and beating him in 2020. If you were in the House, would you have stood alongside Tulsi Gabbard and voted present? I would have voted for impeaching the president because you can't put pressure on a foreign leader and withhold aid to sabotage a political rival. That's a clear abuse of power. So you would have been a yes vote? Yeah, I would have been a yes vote. Uh, as we mentioned, you're an outsider's outsider. That's part of the appeal. Uh, you've never won an election. Uh, you've never governed. You've been a CEO. That's, that's part of it. Uh, we've got one of those right now in the White House. Oh, please don't say that. But <laughs> that outsider status had helped President Trump, but it's also in some ways hurt him uh, as he's been in Washington and hasn't been able to navigate some of these situations, uh, whether they want to blame that on the swamp or something else, uh, quote unquote, deep state. Uh, there are things that have been harder for him because he does not know how it works. How are you going to get around that particular problem? if you're in the Oval Office. First, I would never be one of those CEOs who says I'm going to run government like a business because they're very, very different things. 
a government is more similar to a national nonprofit, which I also ran, where you can't just go top down. You have to generate consensus and buy-in for a vision that people will see that uh, if they get on board, it's good for them, it's good for everyone. And that's the way I'd lead as president. The way I'll get things done is I'll do what Barack Obama did, which was find a partner with deep relationships on Capitol Hill. One of the first things that Barack o Obama did was pick Joe Biden as his, his running mate. And I'm going to need a partner who's very much an insider so we can get things done when we get to Washington. On climate change, you favor a carbon tax. So with that money, uh, what kind of technologies are you interested in? Carbon capture, things like that, where that money would flow into to try and stop this process of global warming? Now we need to put a price on carbon emissions because that will help industries become much more efficient. We all know they just operate on the bottom line, so if it'll impact their bottom line to clean up their production, then that's what they'll do. And then we take that revenue and we move it towards sustainable energy sources like wind, solar, and I would put nuclear in this category too, where other countries have successfully invested in nuclear energy and seen great results and in a way that's very, very low emission. But we have to face facts, Adam. The United States of America is only 15% of global emissions. So even if we were to bring ourselves way down, the earth would continue to warm and we'd still be seeing these floods in Portsmouth and storms around the country. Uh, so we need to start protecting ourselves and our communities. I, I get frustrated when politicians talk about climate change as something that is far off that we can prevent. The fact is, it's here with us now, we're climbing the curve, and we need to start investing to protect our communities and our people. You're a Medicare for all guy, and kind of circling back to the idea of universal basic income, that part of the genius of that is that it decentralizes. It takes the money and just gives it to the people. Yes. Why not try something similar on health care? Because Medicare for all is just going to become this massive government bureaucracy. Well, I'm not someone who thinks that we should uh, sweep away all private insurance plans. I think the goal of the government is to be to provide a uh, universal plan that then outcompetes those insurers over time. But the healthcare market is very, very different from many other markets where if you put money into our hands, that does not somehow solve the problems because you become very, very cost insensitive when it comes to your healthcare. You can't become an expert in everything. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you're not going to all of a sudden, uh, you know, understand every medical condition under the sun. So this is uh, an area where the government has to have uh, some role. I'm sure as a parent of small children, you, uh, just as well as I, you played Dr. Google once or twice there looking up symptoms and whatnot. But, uh, look, and, the, and the diagnosis is always the kid's going to be all right. Right, but, that's but, a good point. But, but yeah. after like, you don't want to follow some of the worst threats there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Let's play the expectations game here in New Hampshire. What does a win look like for Andrew Yang? No, we are seeing so much strength and energy and excitement here in New Hampshire. I think we're going to shock the world. I believe we can contend here in New Hampshire for the whole thing. And when I talk to people around the state, very few people have made up their minds. This is a very fluid and dynamic race. We're growing and growing, and we're going to peak at the right time uh, on February 11th. A couple quick foreign policy questions here before we wrap up. Uh, if you're president, are you going to try to make friends with Kim Jong-un like President Trump has attempted to do? I don't think it's necessarily a mistake to sit down with Kim Jong-un, but if you sit down with him, you have to have meaningful concessions that you get for your side and you don't just give him a meaningless photo op. So we do need to keep uh, pressure on North Korea to make sure that they're not continuing to advance their, their nuclear armaments, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily a mistake to sit down with people. A President Andrew Yang could become a very important voice in the Asia-Pacific region uh, just because of who you are. So will we see you be more of an idealist or a realist there? Are you going to be like Reagan saying you know, to Chinese authoritarians, tear down this wall kind of stuff, or are you going to play it more safe? 
Well, to me, our focus needs to be to outcompete the Chinese. The fact is that they are positioned to potentially leapfrog us in artificial intelligence because they have more access to more data than we do. And their government is subsidizing their computing infrastructure at much higher levels. So if we invest properly, we can continue to remain the world leader in that and other areas. But I would have a very firm hand with the Chinese because if you look at it, uh, they've been appropriating our intellectual property for years now. Uh, and there was a period when that was acceptable, but that period is ending. But you would demand freedom, though. Would you try to stand up more for a liberal democracy? Well, we need to stand up for our values everywhere. Uh, but we need to generate consensus. One of my proposals is a new world data organization that's analogous to the World Trade Organization. Because right now, China's developing its own technology ecosystem and is trying to export it to other countries. What we have to do is we have to set international standards and then say to the Chinese, look, you need to abide by democratic uh, values or at least not uh, abuse your own people to these levels in order to join the World Data Organization. And that's the kind of combination of carrots and sticks that will actually bring them to the table. All right, Andrew Yang, thanks for joining us on Close Up. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure as always. We'll see you on the trail. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.